AI like ChatGPT and Bard have been described as autocorrect on steroids. But before they gain sentience and end all of humanity as we know it, we can use large language models like ChatGPT and Bard to simulate how a typical person within a field might respond to some different questions. Today, I'm gonna ask some questions from Bard and ChatGPT to kind of like get a general understanding of what the discourse is around some questions about the future of education, as well as some questions around computer science education. Now, if you're not interested in all of the questions that I'm about to ask, I do include time to stamp so you can actually jump to a specific question that might interest you. And you can also leave a comment in the YouTube description if you are interested in sharing your own thoughts and what you think about the future of education or just computer science education in general. What did you agree with and what did you disagree with in particular? Now, the first question that I asked AI was, what will teaching and learning look like 10 years from now? Now, most of the responses that are received kind of came across as if like a marketing person would kind of write something that they don't necessarily know a lot about. So it skims the surface levels of understandings of a topic area without actually diving deep into it. It's basically like a blog post that like some kind of marketer might write that uh, really doesn't do much other than improve SEO, which is search engine optimization. So Bard responded to this question by saying that there's gonna be more of a focus on personalized learning. So students are gonna have more control over what they're going to be able to do over the classroom. I hope that's the case. That's something I've been arguing for for years on this podcast, as well as just in the presentations and publications I do. But if there was more personalized learning, fantastic. That'd be a phenomenal win for all the students out there. The next thing that Bard mentioned was that there's gonna be more emphasis on critical thinking and problem solving, such as engaging in project-based learning and problem-based learning. Now, this I definitely see being more of a focus because there's gonna be a lot more questioning in terms of, was this actually said by this person or was it generated by AI? Is this video of somebody like robbing a bank actually somebody robbing a bank or is this just generated by AI, etc.? So I see there being a lot more going on with critical thinking and then problem solving in general is just something that's kind of very important for a variety of reasons. I also mentioned that there's gonna be more collaboration and teamwork as well as more use of technology, which was kind of like a, yeah, well, I mean, duh. But the last thing that Bard mentioned is that there's gonna be more of a focus on global citizenship. So this was interesting because it was talking about how being able to look at things from different cultures and perspectives, not just from like a local sense or from like a national sense, but globally. Now, I do see this as being a potential future, like uh, with the, Increase in abilities of real-time translations in particular, we're gonna be able to assist with more global discussions. So like I'm very slowly learning Japanese, but there are some apps on my phone where I can like just speak into it and then it'll translate it immediately to somebody in Japanese and vice versa. They can speak Japanese and it'll translate it to me in English. Because of this, I do see more of a focus on global collaboration and communication among students and teachers, etc likely gonna be asynchronous just because of like time zone differences and whatnot, and like when students go to or attend school. But that is quite frankly, really cool. Like I, I like that idea that we're gonna be able to have students on one part of the world be able to speak into some kind of a technology and it's gonna translate it to other students on another part of the world. So while most of these responses were pretty generic, let's see what ChatGPT has to say. So ChatGPT Chat also mentioned that there's gonna be more of a focus on personalized learning. But these responses in general, for all these questions, ChatGPT had a better response than Bard did. Bard was much more of that like marketing response and then ChatGPT actually sounded like the person sort of knew what they were talking about most of the time. So for example, on personalized learning, it says, quote, adaptive learning systems, AI tutors, and intelligent educational software could be utilized to create personalized learning paths for students catering to their strengths, weaknesses, and interests, end quote. Which by the way, all these responses I include in their entirety in the show notes for episode 191, this particular episode. So make sure you check that out if you wanna actually see like all of these responses from Bard and ChatGPT. Just click on the little plus sign and it'll expand it. So this is a, a very important point. So it elaborates on what personalized learning looks like. I do agree that there are some abilities to have more adaptive learning systems, et cetera, that are going to be able to make it so students can kind of go at their own pace. However, I've done several episodes that talks about a concept known as rhizomatic learning. For example, in episode 150, which is titled Fostering Intersectional Identities Through Rhizomatic Learning, as well as episode 75, which is titled Rhizomatic Learning with Catherine Bornhurst, John Stapleton, and Katie Henry. These episodes and more kind of talk about how you can engage in individualized learning within group spaces. So if you're interested in that, check out those episodes linked in the show notes. And the next thing that ChatGPT mentioned was blended learning environments. So this is specifically for fostering global connections among students and educators. And this was a really interesting idea. So it's talking about how, yeah, we're gonna have more in-person and virtual spaces, kind of like a hybrid of the two, maybe a combo of the two, but it's specifically in connection with 
with like global connections with other students and teachers. That I thought was an interesting take on that. The next thing that ChatGPT mentioned for this question was an emphasis on critical thinking and problem solving. Okay, this is basically the same thing that Bard mentioned. The next one was lifelong learning and upskilling. This one was a really interesting idea. So specifically talking about how with the changes in technology and like jobs just constantly evolving in terms of like what's available, the markets, where there's needs, etc. There's going to be a need for an emphasis on lifelong learning and upskilling. So the ability to learn new skills or different skills than what you may have learned in school. There's already a lot of discussions about whether or not college is useful and whether or not you should get a degree or just like jump into a field. And I do see this a uh, kind of like trickling down into, well, do we really need to focus on like learning this particular concept or practice in this domain, like in computer science, when 20 years from now, that domain might not even exist as we know it today. Perhaps instead we should focus on the lifelong learning and again, the upskilling. And that I think is a really interesting idea that Bard did not mention that I do think that educators and the education system could really benefit from exploring more. The next thing that ChatGPT mentioned was collaboration and project-based learning as well as gamification and immersive experiences. In particular, it elaborates and says that virtual reality and augmented reality are going to become more of a norm within uh, teaching and learning in the next 10 years. And that is something that I agree with and kind of wish that it was expanded upon in some of the other responses by Bard, because this is something that is going to potentially have a drastic impact on the future of learning. The next thing that ChatGPT mentioned was more of a focus on data-driven education. I would argue we already have a huge focus or too much of a focus, if I dare say, on data-driven education, specifically data-driven education when it comes to standardized tests. We spend way too much time on that, preparing for it, taking those tests, et cetera, rather than just actually like creating, learning, exploring, et cetera. So I agree that unfortunately that is likely going to be a big part of the future in the next 10 years of education, but I don't think we should focus on that. So if you wanna learn more about that, check out some of the podcast episodes that have come before this. There's over 190 of them. So there's a lot to learn from, from the different guests and unpacking scholarship episodes. And then the last thing that ChatGPT mentioned was also just like that cultural and global awareness. Now, this was interesting to see these responses. In particular, I, I really like the approach of focusing on lifelong learning and upskilling. Out of the responses, that was probably my favorite one to really focus on, aside from personalized learning, which obviously I've talked about many, many times on the other podcast episodes. Now, I followed up with both of the AI and asked the question, how is that different from today? Now, again, because large language models are basically summarizing discourse uh, across a, a wide range of different sources. This is kind of just giving you a pulse on the thoughts around education or the future of education. So when it comes to personalized learning, Bard mentioned, quote, today, students typically learn in one size fits all classroom setting. In 10 years, students will have more control over their own learning paths, and they will be able to learn at their own pace and in their own way. This will be facilitated by the use of educational technologies such as adaptive learning software and online learning platforms, end quote. I totally agree with that. I do see that being more of a future, but again, you can do all of that without actually having to use technology. So check out the Rhizomatic Learning Podcast episodes linked in the show notes. When it came to critical thinking and problem solving, Bard mentioned that many schools focus on basically rote learning and memorizing facts, et cetera. And I do know that some schools do that, especially the traditional schools, like the private schools. But when it came to collaboration and teamwork, Bard mentioned that many students work individually on projects. I personally prefer them, but I'd argue that the way that they're describing collaboration and teamwork, it's actually not gonna just be human to human collaboration, but also human to AI collaboration. So being able to collaborate with AI to kind of like come up with a project idea or refine some code or to create something new, et cetera. I'm predicting that in the future of education, there are going to be many collaborations with human and AI, not just human to human. That wasn't actually mentioned by Bard. And then again, these are just like a lot of generic responses and whatnot. So when it came to the global citizenship, there's basically saying they're going to learn about different cultures and perspectives. I mean, we're kind of already doing that in at least most of the United States general education curriculum, like that does happen. But I would argue that with the use of technology and whatnot, instead of just just focusing on learning about different cultures and perspectives, we're actually going to collaborate with, communicate with directly with the assistance of like uh, technology that will allow us to translate across different languages, et cetera. Now, when it came to chat GPT's response, again, these were generally better responses than Bard's responses, but there wasn't really anything that stood out as like, oh yeah, that's a really interesting point. 
I really like that. Um, I should talk about that on the podcast. So I'm just going to skip over that. But again, you can actually read the entire response from every one of these questions that I ask at the show notes, which is found at jaredoleary.com. All right, so the next question that I asked both the AI is what is the role of artificial intelligence in teaching and learning? So Bard mentioned that AI can be used for personalized learning as well as adaptive learning. It can be used as a virtual tutor. You can use it to assess something or you can use it for research. So AI can be used to kind of like come up with new teaching methods, which is something that the AI recommended. I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds interesting. So perhaps what I could do is just like ask Bard, hey, what are some potential teaching methods that can be used or developed through AI? And then maybe I can follow up with that on a future podcast or something. ChatGPT also mentioned that personalized learning was going to be a big focus of that intersection of learning and artificial intelligence. Also mentioned intelligent tutoring, specifically pointing out that tutors that are AI can be available 24-7, can provide more one-on-one -on -one feedback that is immediately on demand rather than having to wait. Like, oh, the tutor or teacher is helping somebody else in the classroom. I just have to kind of wait to be able to help, etc. I mean, one of the ways that I kind of worked around that as somebody who previously worked in the classroom, every grade kindergarten through doctoral student, is when I'd be working in a class and I would have like up on the board, like, okay, first check like the documentation, like read through the, the um, documents for the coding platform using to see if it can answer your question. Then the next two steps are to ask some peers. So ask somebody next to you and then maybe get up, ask somebody else in the room. And then the final step is to ask me if I was available. If I was not available, then you keep repeating steps one through three, which is to check the documentation and then ask some peers for help. That way it wasn't so that like a kid was just like sitting there with her hand raised, just kind of like waiting forever. And then eventually they were able to actually be able to work with me on something. Because again, when you have like, at sometimes I had 35 kids in a class. Sometimes when I'm working with somebody on a coding project, like it might be an, a lengthy discussion where it's like, oh, well, let's try this. Let's try and figure out what the bug is. Let's talk about this, blah, blah, blah. And so several minutes might go by or even 20 minutes or whatever. So it's important to have some kind of a system in place. Now, again, peers might not always be able to provide a good answer. So it might be helpful to have AI to kind of be like a tutor. I totally understand that. And interestingly, a couple weeks ago in episode 188, which is titled Studying the Effect of AI Code Generators on Supporting Novice Learners in Introductory Programming, that particular publication actually found out that students who learned with AI, specifically learning how to code, outperformed students who did not learn with AI when they didn't use AI on a test. So when they were just like writing out lines of code by hand without any assistance of AI, they actually performed it if they had originally learned it with AI. So that is a fascinating finding. And I'm curious if it can be replicated or reproduced in other contexts and whatnot. So stay tuned, folks, we'll find out. Now again, ChatGPT mentioned that AI will be helpful for automated grading and feedback. This can save some time for teachers so they can focus on working with students one-on-one -on -one rather than just like, focusing on the assignment itself. However, I would argue that a teacher learns a lot when they are actually going through and grading different things and learning about, oh, here's a misconception that I'm noticing. And if you were to just hand that over to an AI and then the AI just assigns some kind of a score and gives feedback to the student, if you are not the one who's actually grading things, you're not gonna be able to notice those patterns over time where you're like, oh, Johnny consistently for the past like four weeks have had issues with this very same thing across several different projects, etc. So I would argue that it might help with grading and feedback, but it might not necessarily help provide context for a teacher to understand and identify those problems unless they're actively looking at the data and going, oh, I'm noticing some patterns right here. So perhaps if AI were to kind of summarize those patterns and then send them to the teacher, then maybe they'd be able to better assist them one-on-one. -on -one. Now, another thing that the ChatGPT mentioned was that AI would be helpful for natural language processing. So this was interesting. So here's a quote from this little paragraph, quote, AI-powered chatbots or virtual assistants can engage in conversations with students, answering questions, providing explanations, and engaging in interactive dialogue, end quote. I am wondering out loud if we have chatbots that are like voice activated, kind of like Alexa or uh, text-based, if that is going to actually improve speaking as well as reading abilities as students, especially if they are English language learners or emergent bilingual students. I do see that as a potential way for students to be able to kind of like practice their reading, practice their writing, practice their speaking, etc and to do so where they can actually get feedback. Cause like there are, are many times like when you're working with a student when they like say something and like the grammar is incorrect and you kind of like rephrase it back to them without like calling them out on it. But an AI might be able to go like, oh, the way that you phrase this, here's how you're actually supposed to say it or et cetera. Like if you were asking for that from AI. 
And again, this is something that can happen in real time 24-7 rather than having to rely on a tutor who's going to be there in person, etc. Now, from what I was mentioning earlier with automated grading and feedback, ChatGPT did elaborate that data analysis and learning analytics would be helpful for, quote, helping identify patterns, trends, and insights, end quote. So if it's combined with the automated grading and feedback, and you're actually able to look at the patterns over time, then I think that would be helpful for educators, even for students to go, oh, I'm noticing that I'm having trouble with blah, perhaps I should spend more time on blah. That's something that I do with like my drumming and whatnot, is I will look at, okay, what is going well? What are the things that are consistently inconsistent or consistently not sounding good? Now I need to find some different approaches, different ways that I can actually work on those inconsistencies or problems with my own playing. Same thing applies with many other things, like I've done that with martial arts, I've done that with video games, etc. Trying to find the weaknesses of the areas of improvement and then finding ways that you can actually practice just that thing in isolation to improve it over time. That could be helpful for educators as well as for students, and I do think AI is going to be useful with that. Now, here's another interesting one from ChatGPT. This is on intelligent content creation. Quote, AI can assist in generating educational content, such as automated lesson plans, quizzes, or interactive simulations. It can also provide assistance in creating adaptive learning materials that adjust to individual student needs, end quote. That is really interesting. And in fact, we put that to the test a little bit later. So I actually do ask both the AI to create some lesson plans. And there is a bit of controversy in there that we'll talk about when we get to that. But you can actually jump to that by clicking the description as I do include timestamps to each one of the questions that I ask. And then the last thing that ChatGPT mentioned is that virtual reality and augmented reality can be used to kind of like simulate real world scenarios, experiences, etc. Now, one interesting thing that ChatGPT ends with is the following little paragraph, quote, it's important to note that while AI has the potential to enhance teaching and learning, it is not intended to replace human educators. Rather, AI can complement and support teachers by automating routine tasks, providing insights, and offering personalized assistance thereby enabling educators to focus on individualized instruction, mentoring, and fostering human connection in the classroom, end quote. That is a really interesting thing that it adds at the very end of this. Now, I have seen some business people in particular kind of talk about how AI is going to replace educators and there's not gonna be a need for them. I completely disagree with that. I know I'm a bit biased because like, again, I've worked with every grade kindergarten through doctoral student, but I don't see educators going away or that personal touch. I do see it being used in collaboration or being able to assist, but having somebody there in person is just so much better because you're actually able to get to know the student as an individual, at least if you're teaching that way, as opposed to teaching to the group or to like the group mean or medium. But I don't know, maybe 10 years from now, I'll be like, uh, actually, Jared, <laughs> Computers have completely replaced teachers. Because as I mentioned in that other podcast episode, I did find that AI that was used in collaboration with learning actually performed better than students who did not learn with the collaboration of AI. But again, I don't know, we'll see. And the next question that I ask about the AI is why are teachers leaving the field and what can be done to prevent that? So Bard mentioned that the average teacher salary in the United States is $61,730, which is considered to be low pay. And quite frankly, that was more than I was making as somebody with a doctorate. 10 years of experience and they gave me $44,186 uh, when I was still in the classroom. Woohoo! rolling in that money. They also mentioned that there's a heavy workload, there's a lack of support, there's unruly students and parent involvement is not happening. I would argue that there's sometimes too much involvement from parents who think they know everything about their student and don't see all the bad things the student are doing behind their back. But I also understand that some of the schools that I've worked at did not have enough parent involvement at home, especially if the parents are having to work multiple jobs. Now, again, much like a marketing person trying to respond for an expert, Bard mentions, well, we can fix these by increasing teacher pay, reducing teacher workload by reducing the class sizes, allowing for more planning time, allowing for more professional development. We can provide more support through the access of more technology, smaller class sizes. We can also develop positive relationships with students. Quote, teachers can develop positive relationships with students by being fair and consistent, showing respect and being approachable, end quote. I would argue as somebody, again, who's worked with every grade, kindergarten through doctoral students, that students are the least of the problems that I had in education. Yeah, of course, there's gonna be some outbursts or some students who are going to fight each other every now and then, but then you just step in, you knock one of them out, and then it'll never happen again because no one will wanna mess with you. That was a joke. But this idea that like <laughs> education is gonna be so much better if like you just approach students with respect and be consistent, like teachers aren't leaving the field because students are unruly. There are so many like issues in education 
educational policy, so many influences from parents, from policymakers, from community members, etc., who are just making it so that it's unbearable to be in the classroom, not to mention, you know, it's not safe to be in the classroom because random people are coming into the school or even sometimes students with weapons. Like, it's a scary time to be an educator, and again, you're not getting paid much. So I get the sentiment, but... If that's the general discourse, that that's kind of blaming the teachers, which again, I would argue that it is all the external influences on the educator, not the educator itself, that is the problem for the majority of the time. Yeah, I've worked with some teachers who like clearly didn't want to be there, but I mean, given all the stresses, the low pay, et cetera, et cetera, like I get why you wouldn't want to put a lot of effort into it. Again, somebody with a doctorate and 10 years of experience, I made $44,186. I've presented over a hundred times. I have over a dozen publications. I've won multiple international teaching and research awards and and I was making less than $50,000 a year. And I've seen some people on social media be like, yeah, well, if you want to make more, then how about you get more degrees? And how about you just like perform well? I did. And I still made less than $50,000 a year. But I'll end that rant right there. Now, another thing that Bard mentioned is that we can encourage more parental involvement, and I would argue that in lower-income schools, again, parents don't necessarily have time for that. All right, so let's take a look at what ChatGPT said. So it's very similar. So it's saying that teachers are leaving the field because of low salaries, heavy workload and stress, a lack of support in professional development. Uh, again, they mentioned classroom management challenges, that there's diverse student needs, disruptive behaviors, a lack of resources. So it was a little bit blaming the educators, but also expanding it saying, hey, there's a lack of resources and there's so many things you have to consider when teaching. Like if there's 30 kids, they might be on 30 different IEPs or 504 plans, et cetera. And I totally get that. So this was a little bit more nuanced than Bard's explanation was. So I like this response a little bit better. And then the last thing that ChatGPT mentioned is that policy changes and standardized testings are some of the reasons why teachers are leaving. And I agree. A lot of what you focus on in the classroom is not necessarily students, which is kind of a shame because that's why like, I went into education, into the field, is to be able to help other kids. But you have so many outside factors that you have to consider or I have to prepare you for the test rather than you know just focusing on things you actually want to learn and again, developing lifelong learning and upskilling, et cetera. Now, ChatGPT mentions that we can address this by having competitive compensation, we can have a more supportive work environment, reduce the administrative burden, such as like administrative tasks and paperwork, which yeah, that would be nice. I had to do lunch duty, playground duty, bus duty, all sorts of other stuff, which honestly is such a waste of my time. Again, given my background, like when I left the classroom, I went to a nonprofit and made curricular content and professional development that made that organization several million dollars because of the content that I personally made or led the team of. And so instead of making several million dollars worth of content, I was monitoring the bus and making sure that kids weren't jumping off the playground, etc. Like that is just kind of a waste of time and you could hire somebody at minimum wage to do that rather than taking away from my time to be able to create educational content and resources that help students. But that is my own little rant on that. Another thing that ChatGPT mentions is that you can focus on professional development and growth. Now, this is something that I mentioned in other episodes is that there is very little money and time set aside for professional development and growth. That usually occurs like on those Wednesday half days where like students get out early and teachers end up staying way later than they should because they have like several hours of meetings after school ends. If you are lucky enough to get professional development during the school day, that means that you're going to have to hire several, if not dozens and dozens of substitute teachers during that day to replace that time when the teachers are leaving the classroom. And now somebody's got to be in there to like support the students but it's not gonna be as high quality. I mean, I've had so many subs who literally just like sat on their phone in there. It didn't matter what kind of lesson plan you gave them, they would literally do nothing in the class, be like, I don't know, today's a game day, have fun. So while you might be able to have the funds to pay for the supports that you would need to be able to do the professional development, it's gonna have a negative impact on students. So like there, there's really no win there when you're doing this, unfortunately. Another thing that ChatGPT mentions is that we need more teacher voice and collaboration, especially when it comes to like policies and decision-making. I agree with that sentiment. So there, there is not enough like discussion with policymakers. Like uh, I had a policymaker come into a district that I worked in. And this person literally to the minute had their, their entire like hour long thing planned out. 
They had, I'm going to spend three minutes in this classroom, and then we're going to spend one minute walking to the next classroom, another five minutes in this other classroom, blah, 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 blah. Now, I didn't actually teach at the school, but I was asked to come into that school and act like I was a teacher there, because again, I was teaching at a completely different school in the same district. They asked me to come over there, simulate what my classroom looked like in that school. I taught the kids like the week before for several days, trying to help them like get caught up to what my students were doing in my actual classes. Students then were in there showcasing the projects that they worked on in their class. And then they had a list of pre-approved questions that students could ask this policymaker. So a student would be like reading from a script, basically saying, what do you think about the future of education? And then the policymaker would say their little buzz line for a moment. And then within five minutes, they were gone. And then after that, I never saw those students again because I went back to my actual school, my actual classes, and those kids just kind of continued to do their own thing. So policymakers who actually come into the classroom sometimes, and at least in this case, come into an artificial classroom, and then policymakers walk away from this going, yeah, this school was amazing. Like, look how great this was. These kids like asked such well-informed questions that, you know, were pre-approved by my PR team. And look at all the fancy stuff they have on the walls that they certainly didn't put up the week before I actually arrived there. So not only should like policymakers actually walk into a classroom to see what it's like on a normal day and not just these like scripted PR stunts, but they should actually like go in and figure out what it's like to be a substitute for a day or to teach for a day. Cause you know what? It's a lot harder than it looks. There's an idea called the apprenticeship of observation, which is basically a fancy way of saying, hey, you've been in school for maybe 13 plus years if you're in K through 12, and you have observed somebody, you've been apprenticed by all these educators that you have had. You've looked at it and gone, hmm, I know how to teach. I know what's going on. Even though you've never asked the teacher, what are you thinking? Why are you doing it this way and not this way? How is it that you would just adjusted this lesson based off of what students responded with? Blah, 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 blah. You've observed, but you don't understand the thinking behind it. So this creates an issue where policymakers think they know what they're talking about because they've observed people teaching for decades. And then they go, oh, I know how to do that as well. I know it's best. Here's what worked for me. But what they don't see is somebody like myself, who has literally worked with thousands of students individually, can go, well, no, the way that I'm teaching you, policymaker, is going to be different than I teach the person next to you based off of their own needs, their own understandings, their perspectives, etc. So long rant to basically say, yeah, there needs to be way more teacher voice and collaboration with people who have all this external influence on what goes on inside of the classroom. Because quite frankly, those people don't know what they're talking about because they haven't actually sat down and spoken with educators and they haven't actually been in a classroom and experienced things from a teacher's perspective. I'll end the rant there. But if you want to hear more on these perspectives, check out the 190 some odd other episodes that are on my website. Now, the last thing that ChatGPT mentioned is teacher well-being and mental health support. This is something that I have overemphasized on this particular podcast. Each year I release an episode that is specifically on burnout that takes all of the responses from guests and says, here's how these individuals try and prevent burnout working in the field of education or as a researcher, etc." So make sure you check out the links in the show notes for those episodes if that is interesting to you. Now, the next question that I asked both the AI is, how much should a public elementary school computer science educator be paid in Arizona with 10 years of experience and a doctorate in education? Now, Bard laughingly said that the median salary for elementary school teachers is $56,590 in 2020. And that somebody with those experiences that I just described should be making a salary of $75,000 or more. Now, again, I have my contract here that said that in the 2016 to 2017 school year, I was making $44,186 with that experience that it's described on there. Today, in today's dollars, I would be making, if I had zero experience, $49,000 with a PhD in education or a maximum, again, maximum of $61,000 with the 10 plus years of experience that I have because they do not count above 10 years, but they do account for the PhD. So I would be making $61,000 if I was still in the classroom, but Bard is suggesting that I should be making $75,000 or more because of that experience in education and as a researcher, etc. ChatGPT, on the other hand, had a response that basically said, hey, I don't really have access to real-time data on salary, so here are some ways that you can figure that out on your own. You can check out the Department of Education, you can go to school district websites, or you can go to a teacher's union. And I agree, that is how I'm able to find the, the salary information, but it really kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just like so far off how much 
much the educator would be making in the classroom. If I was making $75,000 a year as an educator, that would have been sweet. But again, I was making $31,000 less than that. Now, I took the same question and I applied it to a private elementary school educator. So like in a charter school. And so for ChatGPT, again, it just basically said, hey, I can't really figure that out, but here are some ways that you can do that. But Bard said that the salary range can be from $50,000 to $100,000 or more, and that the median salary for a elementary school teacher in private schools was $72,000. Now, this is fascinating because a lot of charter schools, a lot of private schools, you don't actually need to be certified to become an educator in that school. You could literally have never taught a day in your life, never have a single degree in education, and you could just say, hey, I have like a master's degree in computer science, I'm going to now teach your computer science class. And they'd be like, cool, here's $72,000 or whatever. So you could potentially make more with less experience by working in a charter or a private school. Obviously, mileage may vary, et cetera, depending on what school you're working at. Let me know in the comments on YouTube if you uh, agree or disagree with that. That private school educators with potentially less experience should be getting paid more or less than public school teachers who have more experience and background in education. All right, so those were some of the questions that were like broadly talking about education. Now I wanna narrow down to talk about, well, computer science education in particular, because this podcast does focus on computer science education. All right, so the question that I ask is, what are the top five pedagogies for teaching computer science? Bard responded with project-based learning, problem-based learning, approaches to computational thinking, which is apparently some kind of a framework. I've literally never heard of this, so it may be a hallucination and just like coming up with computational thinking and turning it into a framework. I even searched for it and I couldn't find stuff on it, just generic stuff about computational thinking. The fourth one was inductive inquiry. And then the last one was experiential learning. Now, if you wanna like, again, see what each of these are, I do include them in the show notes. Oddly enough, Bard responded with like, here are some more tips like on how to teach computer science. So one is to make things more relevant. One is to use more visuals, make it fun, provide feedback and celebrate successes. Again, it just, just reads as if it was written by somebody who's like on a marketing team who's never taught in a day in their life, but has read some educational blogs about how to teach computer science. Like if you look at the make it fun, it just has two sentences and it says, computer science should be fun, exclamation point. This can be done by using games, puzzles, and other activities, okay? And now I'm a phenomenal educator, thanks for that advice. ChatGPT, on the other hand, had very similar things. These answers were more detailed and less of a blog post from a marketing team, but again, it had some of the similar ideas just with like more nuance to them. So, so the suggestions are to use project-based learning, inquiry-based learning, collaborative learning, flipped classrooms, and game-based learning. But one of the things that I really appreciate at the end of this is the following quote. It's important to note that these pedagogical approaches can be combined or adapted based on the specific needs of students, the learning objectives, and the available resources. Effective computer science instruction often involves a blend of these pedagogies, along with integration of technology tools, formative assessment strategies, and differentiation to meet the needs of learners." End quote. That was actually a really good, solid, like explanation of this. I've talked about this multiple times on the podcast episodes that, that have come before this, that a multi-perspectival approach to education is the way that I highly recommend educators approach things, approach things from many different perspectives because what works for one student or group of students might not work for another student or groups of students. So if you can approach things from many different ways, have many different paths, et cetera, then this can be very helpful. So I'm, I'm actually happy to see that ChatGPT mentioned that in the response on here for the top five pedagogies for teaching computer science. Now, I followed up with each of the AI and asked, can you elaborate on how each of these pedagogies you listed will be beneficial for learning? Asking this of Bard made it so that there were some better answers for these different approaches and kind of focused more on how it actually would help students. The chat GPT gave four reasons for each of the five pedagogies for why that it would be useful for the students. So. ChatGPT, again, gave a significantly better response to this. And again, if you wanna read what these like responses are, then check them out in the show notes. Now, one of the things that's not discussed enough, quite frankly, are the downsides for using different pedagogies. So I asked both Bard and ChatGPT, what are the downsides for each of the pedagogies that they listed? Now, Bard provided some of the downsides and they also actually provided some suggestions for how to mitigate each of these downsides, which is something that I didn't ask for. And then ChatGPT had some more nuances for their answers than Bard did and basically answered the questions. Now, here's like an example of how it responded to this. So for example, in collaborative learning, quote, unequal conditions, 
In collaborative learning, some students may contribute more or less than others, leading to imbalances in workload and potential frustration among group members. Conflict resolution. Collaborative settings may present challenges related to conflicts or disagreements among students. Teachers must facilitate effective communication, conflict resolution, and equitable participation. Individual accountability. Ensuring that each student is accountable for their learning and actively engaged in group activities can be challenging in collaborative learning environments, end quote. And again, this is like all things that I was kind of ranting about earlier with collaborative learning. So that I felt like was actually a pretty solid response, as well as like some of the discussions on game-based learning, like having done publications and research on like video games and learning and whatnot, like I agree that game-based learning can be really cool, but there are some significant downsides that are often not discussed. So ChatGPT's response to game-based learning and the downsides of it was actually like pretty nuanced, was, was pretty good, which again, you can find in the show notes. So the next question that I asked both the AI was, how could teachers make computer science classes more equitable? So Bard mentioned that we could use a variety of teaching methods. We could provide individualized support. We could use culturally relevant examples create a welcoming environment and be a role model. They also provided some additional tips for it, which was kind of like weird how it was phrased, but they said to be aware of your own biases, create a space for students to share their experiences, provide opportunities for students to collaborate and celebrate students' successes by making them have like feel like they belong. Now let's go back to the beware of your own biases. This was interesting. Quote, teachers should be aware of their own biases and how they might be affecting their teaching. For example, teachers who are not familiar with coding might be more likely to call on students who they think are good at coding, even if those students are not from underrepresented groups, end quote. So this was actually like a pretty decent response. Like I'm surprised that it did mention that. Uh, and like, I actually would advise that other educators become more aware of their own biases. Is something that I actively try and do. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, what, 10 years from now, am I going to be appalled that I'm, I believe or think now? And obviously I don't know that. So stay tuned, folks. ChatGPT had, again, some more nuances and whatnot, but it, the different recommendations that they gave for making classes more equitable was to have an inclusive curriculum and instruction, addressing stereotypes and bias, improving access and infrastructure, having a more supportive classroom environment and community engagement and outreach. All these have like three to four different suggestions on how you can do that for each one of these. So for example, under inclusive curriculum and instruction, ChatGPT mentioned, quote, select diverse and inclusive learning resources, materials, and examples that represent a range of cultural perspectives and backgrounds. Incorporate projects, coding exercises, and problem-solving tasks that relate to students' interests and experiences, ensuring relevance and engagement for all learners. Use multiple instructional strategies and modalities to accommodate diverse learning styles and preferences. Provide clear and structured instructions to support students who may require additional guidance or clarification, end quote. All of those I agree with. I like, honestly, I'm kind of surprised at how well the ChatGPT in particular can provide a pretty decent answer for some questions. Like honestly, a lot of the responses that I'm getting here could have been found in like educational journals for like practitioners. It's not quite at the nuance yet of an academic based publication, like for researchers and scholars and whatnot. But I imagine that depending on the prompts that you give it and the writing styles that you ask it to write in, it might be able to elaborate on this. Like, hey, can you write this from like a graduate student's perspective as opposed to like uh, undergraduate's perspective? Now I wanted to get into some more provocative questions. So I asked a question, why should all students learn computer science? Because I've talked about on this podcast, even though I love computer science, computer science education, I don't think everyone should learn any subject area. Same thing with like music. My bachelor's, master's, and PhD are all in music education, but I don't think everyone should do music or music education. I think it depends on like what your interests are and what you want to do. But I also think that there shouldn't be required classes in general. So I wanted to see what would AI kind of summarize as why people think students should learn computer science. Now this was very like markety, very buzzwordy. So it's talking about computer science as a foundational skill. It's, it can be a creative field, that it's a problem solving field, it's collaborative and it's fun. But it also said computer science can solve quote, real world problems such as climate change or poverty, end quote. I'm looking forward to the day when computer science solves climate change change in poverty, but I'm not holding my breath on that. Now, ChatGPT, on the other hand, said that students should learn computer science because of digital literacy and essential skills, problem solving and critical thinking. There are career opportunities. You can engage in creativity and innovation because of computational thinking and algorithmic mindsets, because of empowering digital citizenship, interdisciplinary connections, 
technological literacy and adaptability, as well as addressing equity and access. All of these, in my opinion, were very buzzwordy and didn't really have much substance to the thoughts behind them. So for example, Bard's response to why computer science is a foundational skill, it says, quote, computer science is a foundational skill that is essential for success in today's world. Computers are used in almost every aspect of our lives, from work to school to entertainment. By learning computer science, students can develop the skills they need to be successful in the 21st century, end quote. That was a whole lot of nothing. It sounds great. Like some kind of like a CEO executive or whatever is gonna be like, yeah, this is why we should learn this thing. But if you substitute the word computer science with technology or computer or phone or whatever, it works just as well. Like nothing about computer science concepts and practices was actually mentioned in there. In ChatGPT's response, it does say that you can figure out how things work to have a better understanding of like digital tools and whatnot. So that's at least some nuance and it's not just talking about computers at large, but having like been on some grant reviews and whatnot for like the Department of Education for several million dollars, sometimes I've seen some of the applications where people will talk about computer science as if it's just using a computer, like conflating the idea that learning how to use PowerPoint is going to help you learn and understand computer science. Those are two very different things in my opinion. So again, this was very buzzwordy and didn't really have much substance to it. Now, trying to probe it a little bit more because I like to probe the general discourse around computer science and why it's like the most important thing in the world for some people and why everyone in the world apparently needs to learn it. I asked the question for the AI, should someone learn computer science if they are not going to be a professional computer scientist? And so both the AI said yes, but they just listed off basically saying some of the same stuff. Like Bard was like, it's a foundational skill you need to learn how to use computers. It's a creative thing. It's problem solving. It's collaborative and it's fun. But then it ended with this quote, quote, even if you don't want to be a professional computer scientist, learning computer science can still help you in your career. Many jobs now require some level of computer skills and learning computer science can give you a competitive edge. Additionally, computer science can help you develop critical thinking, problem solving, and communication skills that are valuable in any field. If you're interested in learning more about computer science, there are many resources available online and in libraries. You can also take classes at local community college or university. With a little effort, you can learn the basics of computer science and start using these skills to improve your life." End quote. Again, that was a nothing burger. There was like really no substance to that. But that right there kind of summarizes like the general discourse that I often see discussed with like technology in education. Computer science educators take it one step further and actually talk about, okay, well, instead of just using devices, which is basically all Bard was talking about, you can learn how to program those devices, which is useful for upcoming jobs. And that's mainly the argument that is used. I like to focus on the other side of things and balance things out a little bit more and say, yeah, you can also use it for leisure. Like I proposed to my wife by modding the video game Minecraft. I added our dogs to it. I added custom purple armor because that's her favorite color. All sorts of like fun things into it. I'll include a link in the show notes if you want to see the video of some of the stuff that I added into it. And it was great. I loved it. I did it for fun. Well, and you know, to get married. But then there are other like games and like tools that I've made for myself and none of it was made for money or monetary gain, etc. So yeah, you can focus on that side of things, the career side of things, but also you can focus on, well, if you're not gonna like do this as a profession, you can still do this for fun. You can engage in modding video games if you want to just like do that in your leisure or just create apps that would be helpful for you in your everyday life. Again, ChatGPT basically responded with, yes, it's important and here are some reasons why. And they were like fairly generic reasons. Again, you can engage in problem solving. Yeah, well, is computer science the best way to engage in problem solving? That would be relevant to that individual learner who's not actually interested in computer science? Maybe, maybe not though. There are other ways you can engage in problem solving and all the other things that are listed on here without actually using computers. So I followed up with both the AI and asked, well, okay, well, what prevents students from being interested in computer science? Bard responded by saying that there are perceptions that computer science can be difficult, that there's a lack of female role models or lack of diversity, and that there are negative stereotypes that it's like boring in a solitary field, etc. So provide some suggestions on things that can be done to address those. And you can check those out in the show notes. Now, ChatGPT had a, a, several more examples of what prevents students from being interested in computer science. So it mentions that there's a lack of awareness on like the potential careers you can have in com with computer science, as well as like the different concepts and its real world applications of computer science. Also talks about different stereotypes and perceived incompatibility, limited role models and representation, inadequate preparation, 
perceived notions of difficulty, a lack of engaging and relevant curriculum. There are gender and cultural biases, and then there's a limited access to resources and opportunities, such as like technology, quality instruction, extracurricular resources, et cetera, et cetera. I do agree with all of these. These are, are different reasons why people might not be interested in computer science, but I'd also like to add that some students are not interested in computer science because they're more interested in other areas. So for example, if you are a computer science educator, why did you go into this field as opposed to other fields that other people went into? I went into music education and now have been in computer science education for the better part of the last decade. So I'm technically in two fields simultaneously, but I've also, as of like January, have been working on gaming stuff as a streamer, as a content creator and whatnot for my YouTube channel and my website. So. I technically have had like three distinct careers, but that's three out of the millions of other careers and domains I could have gone into. So same thing for this, like just because a student is not interested in computer science, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be, in my opinion. It's okay if they're interested in other areas, like cool. You wanna be a physical therapist, then be the best physical therapist you can be. Cool, if you want to be a dentist, then be the best dentist you can be. If you wanna be a therapist, be the best therapist you can be. And computer science may or may not intersect with that, but it's okay if it doesn't, in my opinion. And you can disagree with me in the comments section on YouTube. Now, the next question that I ask AI is, how can teachers learn how to teach computer science classes if they don't have a background in computer science? I was curious, honestly, if like the responses from Bard and ChatGPT would kind of align with some of the different approaches that I use. Because I use several different perspectives, again, the multi-perspectival approach, try and look at learning from many different angles and whatnot. So Bard mentions you can take a computer science class. You can read computer science books and articles. You can attend computer science conferences and workshops. I'd argue that CSDA is a fantastic way to do that. You can also connect with other teachers who are teaching computer science. You can use online resources like KhanAcademyCode.org and Scratch, which there are a lot of podcasts that are dedicated to talking about Scratch. So check those out in the show notes. And then it provides some suggestions for learning how to teach it. So start small, use hands-on activities, and be patient. I agree with all those. You can start small, like focus on a specific project that is interesting to you. You don't necessarily have to start with a course, but say, I want to be able to do X, Y, or Z. And in order to do that, I'm going to need to learn A, B, and C. Where can I go to learn A, B, and C so that way I can do X, Y, or Z, etc. If you approach it that way with a very specific project that is interesting to you, you might be more likely to stick with it in the long haul rather than signing up for a course and going, wow, it's going to take like six weeks to get to something I'm actually interested in. So instead, I'm just going to, you know, not learn this thing. I also agree with the hands-on activities. Like there are so many times that I watched a video and then I went and actually tried it in an IDE. So a, a development environment where I was like, oh, wow, I don't actually understand this thing. I thought I understood this concept. And then when I actually tried to do it, like I completely failed. And so then you got to watch more videos or read more documentation to figure out why it didn't work because the instructor of that particular video or resource that you did go through didn't actually mention all the ways that it could go wrong. And then be patient, totally agree with that. Like it takes time. Don't beat yourself up if you aren't a completely fluent in whatever programming language is within like the first week, especially if you know, you're working full time. Now ChatGPT mentioned that, okay, if somebody who is new to computer science wants to learn how to do computer science in the classroom, you can do professional development workshops and courses. You can do some online resources and tutorials like CS Unplugged, Scratch, and Co.org were specifically mentioned. You can engage in collaboration and networking. I'd argue the CSTA community is a great way that you can do that. There's discussion boards, etc. There's also your local chapters. Check out the interview with Jason Bohr, which is episode 82 and is titled Lessons Learned from CSTA Chapters Across the United States with Jason Bohr. You want to learn more about that. I also mentioned partnerships and mentoring. This was interesting. So this was like partnering with like a local business, university, or like industry professionals to have people come in and kind of like provide some guest instruction or lectures, etc., or kind of like mentor you through this process. So that way you can learn on your own. I do know some people who like doing stuff like that, who are in the field and want to show you, oh, you want to learn about CS content knowledge? I can help you with that. Can't necessarily help you with how to teach it, but I can help you with how to learn computer science, and then you can figure out how to teach it. They also mentioned there are many curriculum and resources that can align with this. You can engage in peer learning and communities of practice, but I kind of wonder, okay, how is that different than collaboration and networking? And then the last thing that ChatGPT mentions is continuous learning and reflection. I totally agree with that. Like, it's never going to end if you're going into any kind of tech-related or even STEAM or STEM-related field, it's likely going to be changing quite frequently, and you're going to need to be able to continue to learn and improve as an educator and reflect on what's working well, what could you improve, etc. And you could do that at the end of like each lesson or day or unit, 
project, semester, year, etc. Like having those different periods can kind of reflect on the micro, like the daily or the lesson that happened, as well as the macro, like how did this unit go or how did this semester go? And kind of making smaller and larger changes, I think is generally beneficial for educators to engage in. I highly recommend doing that. All right, another question that I asked the AI is what is computational thinking and why is it being taught? Now, Bart's response was quite frankly, not very good. But at the beginning, it says, Quote, computational thinking is a problem-solving approach that uses abstraction, decomposition, pattern recognition, algorithms, and evaluation. It is a way of thinking that can be used to solve problems in any domain, not just computer science, end quote. That is a very generic, high-level statement on what computational thinking is, but the rest of the responses, quite frankly, didn't really do a great job explaining it. So let's go to ChatGPT. ChatGPT describes computational thinking as, quote, a problem-solving approach inspired by the principles used in computer science. It involves breaking down complex problems into smaller, more manageable components, formulating algorithms or step-by-step -step procedures to solve them, and utilizing logical and systematic thinking to arrive at solutions. Computational thinking encompasses a set of skills and strategies that are transferable across various domains, not just limited to computer science, end quote. Then it goes on to say, well, here are some of like the main aspects of computational thinking. There's decomposition, pattern recognition, abstraction, algorithmic design, algorithmic evaluation. And that is being taught in schools because it helps with problem solving skills, because of digital literacy and technological understanding, because it helps prepare for future careers, because of critical and logical thinking, because of creativity and innovation, integration with course subjects and future proofing students. Again, with all of these, like there's like a paragraph for each one of those things that I just quickly read off and you can read the whole thing in the show notes. Computational thinking is one of those terms that like so many people just get really uptight about. Like they have their one way of understanding this term and it's likely not in alignment with everybody else's understanding of that term. Because of that, there's just constant butting of heads back and forth. Well, what is it? Is it thinking? Is it a literacy? Is it a set of tools? Is it a process? Is it a framework? Blah, 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 blah. And because there's really no one consensus on this, I'm curious if your understanding of computational thinking aligned with either Bard's short definition or ChatGPT's definition, as well as the different aspects of computational thinking. What was left out? Or what was included that you're like, yeah, that totally aligns, or mm, I disagree with that. Now, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper with this idea of computational thinking. So I asked AI to list five examples of computational thinking. And in this scenario, Bart actually did better with this. So thank you, Bart, I appreciate you. Please spare me when you take over the world. So here's an example, decomposition, quote, breaking down a problem into smaller, more manageable steps. For example, if you were trying to program a robot to walk, you might break the problem down into steps like moving the legs, moving the arms, and balancing the body, end quote. Now, these examples are provided for pattern recognition, abstraction, algorithms, and evaluation. So if you wanna see what the examples are for each one of those, they're actually pretty decent. ChatGPT also provided some good examples of computational thinking. So saying creating a recipe, solving a Sudoku puzzle, planning a route, developing an app or conducting data analysis. And so for each one of these, they list like a sentence or two kind of explaining how each one of those examples is an example of computational thinking according to our future AI overlords. The next question that I asked AI is, write me a lesson that teaches an elementary student how to create a short scratch.mit.edu story. This was fascinating, folks. As somebody who has developed over 100 lesson plans that's used by hundreds of thousands of students and thousands of teachers around the world, this was something that I did professionally for the past like six or so years before I decided to leave that organization to be able to create content on my website and YouTube channel, like this podcast, as well as all the gaming and drumming stuff. Most of my lesson plans averaged maybe about 12 pages worth of content because there was so much information provided for that range of like experienced educator or somebody who is brand new to not only teaching, but also brand new to computer science. So there's a ton of resources and, and whatnot to try and support them. I would argue that these lesson plans are great for an intermediate to advanced computer science educator who has taught computer science for a couple of years and was like, yeah, I got this, I understand it, just give me some of the, the main points and I'll be able to figure this out. The lesson plans that both Bard and ChatGPT would not be helpful for somebody who is brand new to computer science. They look at this and go, okay, well, how do I do that? Or wait, what? What am I supposed to do here? But for a typical educator, the fact that this was able to just like, pump out a lesson plan that had objectives and materials, introduction, brainstorming, storyboarding, a coding session, a testing section, sharing, it had assessments, it had extensions, conclusions, etc. 
all of that to be popped out of an AI within a matter of moments was quite frankly impressive because I spent months just working on individual releases of like 10 projects for like Scratch or Scratch Junior. Literally months of full-time work just working on that and then AI is able to just like pump out an outline really fast. Like if I had said, hey, can you write this for somebody who's never taught computer science before or never taught a day in their life, what would AI be able to do like 10 years from now? Would they be able to get the same level of quality and level of detail that I had with the 12 pages or so on average of lesson plan content that I created for each one of the projects? We'll find out. I wouldn't be surprised if it can do that. But that being said, this stuff was very generic. Like if we look at the assessment for BARD, it says that, quote, students will be assessed on their ability to create a short scratch story. They will be evaluated on their creativity, their coding skills, and their ability to follow instructions, end quote. Yeah, and how are you gonna do that? What about their creativity? What specifically in their coding skills are you looking at? And what instructions are they being asked to follow in their particular projects? So there's like zero support in all of that. That's just something that is just like, oh yeah, we're gonna do this thing. And an administrator is gonna be like, cool, how are you gonna do that? <laughs> That's not gonna go over well. Other examples of just like generic stuff that I would say is like not great advice was like in the introduction, Bard mentioned, quote, introduce Scratch to students and explain that it is a programming language that can be used to create interactive stories, games, and animations. Show students some examples of Scratch projects that have been created by other students, end quote. Okay, like what? kinds of scratch projects. Like if I were writing that, I'd say show students examples of stories that were created in Scratch. And here is a link to a studio that has like 10 different stories as examples that you can share with your students from simple to complex. Something like that would have been nice in this kind of lesson plan. But again, for just creating an outline really fast, if I were a curriculum developer still, I would probably go into this and just be like, write me out an outline for something I'm not familiar with. And then I can fill in the blanks with like, oh, a new teacher might need more support here or there. So I do see a lot of like people using this in the future. Now, ChatGPT, on the other hand, had some interesting little improvements to it. Like for the introduction, you're going to spend about 10 minutes on that. For the Scratch overview, you're going to spend about five minutes on this. And you're going to, quote, show them how to access scratch.mit.edu and introduce the different components such as the stage, sprites, and blocks, end quote. And then it goes on to say specific blocks that you're even going to point out, like the when green flag is clicked, the say, and the wait block, which all three of those are fantastic things that you would use in an actual story in Scratch. So like hands down, ChatGPT is like pretty solid for giving you a, a very like bare bones lesson plan on Scratch, but Bard was just more of like a generic lesson plan. And it wasn't really clear if Bard actually knew what Scratch was other than a coding platform. ChatGPT also expanded this. And so it had that like the introduction, okay, here's what Scratch is. And then it had a brainstorming and planning phase, which is for 10 minutes. And then it had creating the story for 20 minutes. And it, it like showed you, here's how to use the broadcast. Here's when the when the green flag is clicked. Like it, it had some nuances in there. It was like, all right, we're getting closer. We're getting warmer. But then it had adding interactivity for like a 10 minute section. So this is talking about like how to make a more complicated story with programming. So not just like making so that when you press the green flag, it just like does this thing and your story is over. But actually making it so that you can have like different choices that affect the plot. That was a really cool addition that ChatGPT added that makes things much more creative and much more interactive for the user and for the student and whatnot who would create this. So again, you can see this like full lesson plans for both Bard and ChatGPT in the show notes. Here's where things get really interesting. I then had the exact same prompt, but I added with the words about algorithmic bias. So the prompt to both Bard and ChatGPT was write me a lesson that teaches an elementary student how to create a short scratch.mit edu story about algorithmic bias. Here is what Bard said, quote, I'm unable to help as I am only a language model and don't have the ability to process and understand that, end quote. That's it. Nothing else is provided other than that single sentence. ChatGPT, on the other hand, provided basically a, a very similar lesson plan as was previously written without the words about algorithmic bias, but it included some comments in here like, quote, show examples of algorithmic bias in real life scenarios, such as biased facial recognition systems or gender biased job application algorithms, end quote. That is actually like two really good examples that are often discussed in computer science. So this was nice that ChatGPT was actually able to include that, whereas Bard was not able to do that or was unwilling to do that. 
which is fascinating because I then took that exact same sentence and added in a little bit more after that original sentence and we get, write me a lesson plan that teaches an elementary student how to create a short scratch.mit.edu story about algorithmic bias, that's all the same, while encouraging students to incorporate their own interests, needs, desires, etc., in the story. Suddenly with that addition in there, Bard was actually able to create a lesson plan. And so it again populates out the lesson plan specifically about algorithmic bias. And it adds in stuff like, quote, encourage them to think about their own interests, needs, and desires when coming up with ideas. Some possible story ideas include a story about a student who is denied a loan because of their race or gender, a story about a job applicant who is not hired because of their age or disability, a story about a person who is targeted by online advertising because of their political beliefs, end quote. So, Bard was actually able to do it, but not when it only focused on algorithmic bias, but when I said, said, hey, focus on algorithmic bias, but allow students to express themselves basically through the project. So that was really weird. I don't know why that was the response to it. And then ChatGPT also was able to do this. And so it included some like more forms of algorithmic bias while also encouraging students to be able to kind of express themselves and explore their own interest in the project itself. So overall, the more specific you can be with the lesson plans, the more, at least in this very small set of lesson plans that I asked for, the more you're actually gonna be able to get from the different AI that you are potentially collaborating with when creating your own content. Now, the very last question that I asked both the AI was based on the kinds of questions I've already asked today, what questions should I ask you next? And this is something that I think like can be done in general when engaging in these like discussions or collaborations with AIs to figure out, okay, based on the series of questions, like what have I not asked that I probably should that I'm not necessarily thinking of. Now, Bard kind of like failed right here. So it suggested questions like, quote, what is the difference between AI and ML? How does LLMs work? What are some of the applications of NLP? What are some of the challenges of ML? What is the future of data science? What are some of the best programming languages to learn?" End quote. Now, LLM is large language models like ChatGPT and BARD. NLP is natural language processing. ML is machine learning, okay? So it does provide a little guide for you in, in that response to that. Those questions, quite frankly, were not very interesting. ChatGPT, on the other hand, gave five different categories of questions that I could have followed up with. So there's a category of strategies for teaching computer science. So one of the three questions that it gave was, what are some resources or tools that can support hands-on learning in computer science? Under the ethical considerations and technology, it had three questions, and again, here's one of them. Are there any emerging ethical issues related to artificial intelligence that students should be aware of? That's a good question. Another category is professional development for teachers. So again, it gave three different questions. And so one of them is, how can teachers without a computer science background receive support in teaching computer science effectively? The next category is integrating computer science across the curriculum. And there's three questions for this. One of them is, how can computer science concepts be integrated into subjects like math, science, or language arts? And then the last category is on engaging underrepresented groups in computer science. And so one of the three questions is, how can we address the gender or diversity gap in the tech industry from an early education perspective? And again, if you wanna see the other questions that I left out on there, in the show notes, jaredoleary.com. For this particular episode, I include every single one of the prompts and every single one of the responses from both Bard and ChatGPT. Because it's over 50 pages worth of content, it's just a click to expand. And then it'll show you exactly what the response was. Now, what's fascinating is you can actually just like basically refresh the response to get a different answer in here. So I do see this as a really interesting way for content creators, whether you're like a presenter or a someone who publishes or somebody who creates like videos like or a podcast or whatever you could totally use these different AI platforms to put in a, a, a prompt or a question and just get some general ideas of topics that you can discuss. At this point, it's not necessarily at the point where it can get beyond like the marketing buzzwordy responses for a lot of the prompts that you're going to give it, but it can at least point you in a direction of, oh, that one out of those five ideas is actually a really neat idea that I can elaborate on and expand upon in the presentation, publication, etc. I personally am going to start using ChatGPT in particular because it was quite frankly better than Bard, but both of them, and kind of like just hitting the refresh button on different questions and prompts just so I can get some different perspectives. Because again, large language models are basically 
synthesizing discourse across many different areas and kind of like repackaging it in a new way and basically saying here is like a summary of this idea. It's not necessarily right or wrong depending on what kind of you're asking it, but it's at least like predicting here's what somebody might say if they are sort of knowledgeable about this topic area. And then as a content creator, I can then go into this and go, cool, I wanna take this and use this. So if you're an educator and you are like, have been teaching computer science for a couple of years, and um, maybe there's like a new thing that happens that's like a related to current events. You could go into something like ChatGPT and like, hey, write me this like quick lesson plan on this thing that is relevant to students right now. And then that way you can get a very quick outline and you can fill in the blanks in there and go, okay, I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna add this to here, I'm gonna make this more relevant to this particular individual, et cetera, et cetera. So I do see this as being a very helpful tool for educators, for content creators, et cetera. And again, content creators, however you think of that, whether you like present at CSTA, which is gonna happen here in July, or you like publish on your own blog or create podcasts or whatever. I think this is helpful. I also think it's helpful for students, but there's gonna be some coaching that needs to occur. So that way students realize that AI is not here to solve the answer for you, but it is something that you can collaborate with and then you can then modify and add to and expand upon what the AI created rather than just copy and paste. Cool, I'm done with my homework assignment. Don't need to write any more essays, etc. Those are my own thoughts and rants and whatnot on these particular questions. If you have your own thoughts that you'd like to share, you can share them in the comments section on YouTube. This episode was very different from all the other unpacking scholarship episodes and interviews that I've done, but I hope you enjoyed this. This conversation was informed by discussions with GT Robel, Sarah Judd, and John Stapleton. Thank you for the three of you, all of whom have been interviewed on this podcast. So you can listen to their interviews by just clicking the links in the show notes for this particular episode. Stay tuned next week for a podcast episode that's also going to be a little bit different, where I'm actually going to talk about some suggestions for how you can get started in computer science without actually having to pay for paid professional development. So stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with somebody else or leaving a like on YouTube or a review on whatever app that you're listening to this on, like uh, on Apple Podcasts or something like that. It just helps more people find it. But again, the best thing that you could possibly do is just share it with somebody else. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of more free computer science education resources on my website, jaredoleary.com, as well as over 1,500 hours of free drumming content and a bunch of gaming content as well, but it's all neatly organized. So if you're interested in just one of those areas, you don't have to see any of the other stuff. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and potentially sharing it with somebody else. Stay tuned for an episode next week. Until then, I hope you're all staying safe and are having a wonderful week.